Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today on the show, we had Mike Messner, who is an investor that invests out in St. Louis, and I have to say is one of the most analytical, smart gentlemen that we've had on the show thus far. He talks about how he used a very intuitive and creative way to to underwrite deals early on in his career and talks about how to draw an audience, how to bring people to real estate in a way that that honestly I haven't heard yet before. And he'll show you by some of the performance that he and his partner have had in terms of bringing people onto their webinars and bringing people into the deals that they put together. Fantastic episode. If you have an analytical background, if you think you're more of a a left brain person that needs to see spreadsheets and numbers to get things right, I think that Mike will be a great mentor for you and his story will resonate with you and lead you into something that could be seen as success. How about you? You cover most of it, brother. As you mentioned, he's very analytical, detailed person. So we cover a lot about that in just terms of underwriting and analyzing deals, especially mastering your specific market. So that's discussed. In addition to just Michael giving those very practical, unique insights on how he was able to raise for his first two deals. The first deal being funded within a matter of two hours, and then the second one being funded in two days. And he literally gives you practical tips on what exactly he did. Tips that Ike and I know that we are going to apply on our next raise, few raises in the future. He definitely does something different that most people don't do typically when we have a syndication deal that we're putting out to our investor list. Typically you'll have some type of investor webinar and the way Mike doesn't do it that way. Michael does not just have a webinar and then say, and then try to have investors subscribe. You will hear from the show, the process that he does, that's a little bit different that has given him much success. So without further ado, let's get it. Now a word from our show sponsor. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals and select markets across the country for as little as 10% down with no cash on cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter whether you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you wanna take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com and let them know we sent you. Welcome to the Multi-Family by the Slice podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've also got my co-host, Ike Eke in the house. Thank you, everyone, again, for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave us a five-star review. Your feedback, your perspective helps Ike and I promote the show and 
give it to people that can really uplift them and let them learn about multifamily real estate. So without further ado, let me check in with my co-host, AK. How you doing today, bro? Doing good, man. I'm doing good. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. I'm very optimistic at this time in the cycle. While you hear a lot about interest rates going up, you're hearing about the buyer pool getting smaller. You're hearing about people, you know, dropping the prices on their listings or, or properties coming back on market. Mm -hmm. And immediately you think, oh no, here goes the real estate market. It's going to be 2008 again. It's going to be a crash where in reality, the market is right-sizing itself, at least in my opinion. And it's becoming a lot more rational. And I feel like in the near future, there are going to be deals to be had. So my optimism is sky high and I'm ready to take on the world. How about you, man? I like that. I, you know, <laughs> you give me a little dose of energy. I like the optimist. I'm optimist too as well. So I agree with you, my brother. I agree. It doesn't matter what cycle of the market we are anyway. We're real estate investors. So, and, it, and it's funny that you brought that. So let's just go there just for a moment. It's just like, everyone's like, what are you going to do? interest rates going up and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean? Like, am I not supposed to buy real estate? That's like telling LeBron James, he's not supposed to play basketball. Like that's his <laughs> job. You know what I mean? That's his business, that's his profession. So it's the same thing for us. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I don't care if there's a zombie apocalypse, we're going to buy during the zombie apocalypse. It doesn't matter. It might be a little different. We might have to put some security around the properties, but we're still going to buy. So. Mike, you want to introduce our, our guest? I will. And Mike, he, in his bio, he put, he came for, he, he put that his background or his family's background is from different angles in real estate. And in the next sentence, he mentions that his father was in, and his brother is also an architect. So I'm wondering whether the pun was intended or not there, <laughs> but I guess we'll find out soon. But Mike uh, comes from a real estate background. He spent some time doing some web commerce as well as data analysis, but came on home to the real estate uh, industry. And now he runs his own firm where he's recently closed on a few deals and he's growing fast and furious. So Mike, I'll give you the floor and let you fill in, fill in the holes um, in your background and tell us what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think different angles wise, my, my dad was an architect, brother, the same, even there's a, a little bit of a difference. My dad was a, a practicing architect for, for a firm and then for an insurance company for a long time and went into sort of the business side of architecture and then real estate development eventually got away a little bit from the drafting table. My brother is an architect, but he graduated in 2009, I think, 2010, which was like the very worst time (laughs) to to get an architecture degree, right? Like development completely stopped and uh, was really cool for many years, which is why we're seeing the tight inventory we are now, which, you know, which drove prices up so much over the past five years. So he kind of pivoted a little bit into academia and he ended up teaching, teaching architecture and uh, he was, uh, and still is doing some assistant associate professorships in, in Chicago where I know Dre's from. So he taught at UIC for a while, taught in Wisconsin at UW-Milwaukee for a while. And he's just now really practicing, practicing architecture again. And then my mom was also kind of one of those accidental investors you hear about that she would buy a property, live there for a while, then move and not, not be able to sell it right away. So rent it out for a while. And then that ended up fixing it up, doing a short-term rental. I like to say she was doing Airbnb before Airbnb. She was doing short-term <laughs> rentals kind of kind of unofficially or whatever. But that's really how I got started was seeing, especially with my mom doing well with real estate. We're talking like 15 years ago and her background isn't in, in business or finance. And uh, my background is I got an MBA at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I thought like, 
wow, if she can do this well accidentally, like what if I really just kind of focus on it and, and do it as a career? So that's how I got started. Awesome. Awesome. And so give us a little bit about your specific background when you were working and, and your, the work that you did and how that sort of translated into some of the skills that you now use in the real estate industry. Yeah. Yeah. So background, if I go way back, it's in psychology, actually research psychology, and that was my undergrad. And I really had a strong focus on data analytics, data analysis, things like that. So I used to, I worked entirely in experimental psychology, not really on the therapeutic side. So I was designing experiments, running, running experiments, analyzing data, creating computer software that would test people under different uh, conditions. And then I, I spent a little bit of time as a researcher and then I kind of wandered into the web. I wandered into e-commerce. This is late nineties at this point, early two thousands. And yeah, decided to go into marketing, which really, especially digital marketing is not all that different from experimental psychology. You do AB tests on the web, you see how people uh, react and see how people behave it's purchase behavior but you know if psychology is the study of human behavior it's it's really similar so also was getting into tech i was building websites for people i was flipping stuff on ebay on this brand new website called ebay in the <laughs> late 90s and yeah just decided to focus a little more on business got got my mba and i mean there like the ties to real estate are obvious every multifamily property is a business and i mean literally in the sense that especially if you're buying commercial stuff, five, five units and up, you're probably forming an LLC or a group of LLCs to, to buy something, but also just in the sense that it's priced based on profitability. You are doing essentially financial statements every month, reporting out to investors in the same way that you would if you were running a small business. So, so a lot of really close ties there. Yeah. And, and you have quite a diverse background, which like leads me to the next question, because a lot of our listeners are either first time investors or maybe have like your mother did a, a house that they lived in and ultimately in, uh, rented out or made a short-term rental. I'm wondering, because again, a lot of those people probably are in tech or they're in research or they're in a field that isn't necessarily adjacent to real estate, but mm -hmm. I imagine that there are some transferable skills. So what would you say are the most transferable skills from, you know, that world into the investment real estate world? Yeah, I mean, I think being able to analyze data is huge, right? So I've talked to a handful of folks that have, don't know their way around Excel, for instance, right? Or a spreadsheet. And I wouldn't say don't get into real estate, but I would say find somebody <laughs> that does, right? Because like I live and die by spreadsheets. I have like six open at any given time tracking all the metrics, et cetera. So just that, that sort of data analysis, good record keeping is critical, goal setting and deciding like which metrics are the most important to goals that you're setting numbers wise. And then tracking, make sure that you're hitting those goals that, that comes straight from business on the tech side, especially if you're doing syndications, there's a marketing aspect, right? I mean, a huge part of this is building your brand, building a leadership, an online leadership platform, right? So you guys have your podcast, you might focus has been more on, on websites and, and kind of one-on-one -on -one reach outs by using a, a CRM software, which is customer relationship management software. So if you've ever worked in marketing nowadays, especially there's lots of inbound marketing, right? Like putting stuff out there. And then as people come to you, setting up meetings, having those one-on-one -on -one meetings, there's aspects of sales to that as well. I mean, there's a ton of overlap. Right, well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about just your business ventures and your first deal, Michael, and your lessons learned when you did that first deal. Obviously we've just, we talked and we discussed, and, and I know the markets that you focus on, but Tell me about those markets in particular and then that first deal and the lessons learned and what you were able to. Yeah. So coming at it from the business aspect, I have a real strong focus on fundamentals. So I, I look, I buy a property just like I would buy 
stock, which typically is by looking at financial statements, looking at different ratios of profitability, of rental yield, things like that. So I live here in San Diego. It's it, it's expensive, right? And it's also expensive compared to the rents that that people collect. So I'm a value add investor. So I'm looking for like a deal, right? So a low price compared to uh, what people are paying in rent. So that basically made Southern California in general, pretty much impossible. I mean, if it wasn't within a half hour, it was kind of, okay, well, I may as well open it up or across the nation now because I'm not going to drive four hours, you know, to back and forth to maintain a property. So, so I actually, since I'm, I'm originally from Wisconsin, so I started looking in, in the Midwest back in Wisconsin, the, the rental yields there are, are much higher. And I guess with my background in data analysis and tech, my first thought after reading and reading and doing research was, well, okay, what's the best way to pull the data I need? So that I can underwrite, you know, tens, dozens, hundreds of properties at a time because I was doing these sort of like 15, 20 minute underwriting jobs on each property that came in front of me, mostly from the MLS and from a broker I had a relationship with. And I was like, I mean, I was striking out and this is in 2018. So (laughs) you can imagine now. Right. So I literally taught myself how to use my broker's software that she, she used to access the MLS so that I could find out all the features and download. I was like, how do I download the entire MLS? Like I want to look at a hundred properties at a time, not one at a time anymore. So I did some like online training and then I called her and we zoomed and, and this is pre pandemic. So she had never used zoom before and, and basically walked her through how to put in all the criteria I wanted, how to download it as a spreadsheet. And then I built a model where I could literally just 75, hundred properties at a time and then focus on that top, like 10%. And once I did that, suddenly it was like, target rich environment, right? Like then yeah. suddenly I could just sort the wheat from the chaff. Right. And so I bought a quad and I was doing this analysis every day. And I, I think I made an offer within hours of it showing up on the market, like when it was clear. Right. So that one was, I think they were asking 160 and I was making $2,500 a month in, in rental income. Right. So you can already see way well past the 1% rule that people say almost doesn't exist anymore. It was clean. There was, look, it needed some cosmetic rehab, but not too bad. Good rental history. I mean, just a bunch of things that you could um, assess within, you know, the first hour or whatever. Right. Put her in an offer, got it accepted at asking price, basically. Cause I knew the price worked, right? So I didn't a lot of negotiation involved and that was stupendous. Just like some built-in equity right from the start and the good rental, good tenants with a strong rental history. I didn't have a property manager at the time. And I, so I actually just talked to all the tenants and they actually really liked their property manager, which I thought was pretty rare. So I was just like, okay, we'll just go with the same, same property manager, <laughs> which ended up being fine. Uh, I don't recommend doing that, but yeah. And then I was like, okay. And uh, this worked really well. So I used that method. I bought another duplex, like literally just a couple months later, that was looking really good. Then I bought two more. And I was like, how do I scale? Right. I want to go faster than this. Right. And I could tell like prices were coming up. I bought two duplexes on the same day, (laughs) literally a couple months after that, where like the numbers weren't quite as good, but I was like, how do I go faster? How do I go faster? And that was when I, that was when I started looking at uh, syndications, I guess. And that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to sort of pick your brain on, on something you mentioned there. Well, not yeah. necessarily you mentioned, but something that I thought of when you went through that story and you mentioned that you pulled out, you basically got a, found a means to pull all the data off the MLS and essentially built an algorithm to sift through and pinpoint the deals that made sense to you. And so the question that I have, or the lead up to it is that a lot for a lot of first timers, it's almost a chicken and egg situation with confidence and 
the ability to underwrite, where if you underwrite a million deals, generally you'll have confidence or if you have confidence, you'll know that, okay, that's a good deal because I'm confident in those numbers. So for you in particular, was it sort of the chicken or the egg? Do you feel confident in the offers you were making because you who under, under all those properties after building that algorithm? Or was it you built an algorithm knowing exactly what a deal is going to be? And so you already had the confidence going into it. I mean, I, I knew what a good property looked like in the sense that meeting the 1% rule on rental yield. At the time, I, w- I didn't know about cap rates and, and NOI and stuff like that. I was using the Foursquare method that Brandon Turner advocates for bigger pockets, which mm-hmm. is a pretty common way of doing it. So I was analyzing for just for cash flow at the time. I would do it maybe a little differently now, not necessarily for stuff that's less than five units, because that's usually sold based on comps and, and cash yeah. flow rather than cap rates and, and NOI. So like you have to have a fundamental understanding of the math. And I did spend months learning the math beforehand, maybe even too long. I got books just on real estate math, but to know the market, you need to underwrite hundreds of properties. I mean, cause you need to know the averages for your market, right? Yeah. So it's not until you, it's not until you un- underwrite, I don't know, 50 plus properties that you really get a sense of that bell curve of like, okay, well, wait, what are the rental yield averages in this area? What are, what is it going for per square foot over here? What does, what's the effect of crime on this statistic, stuff like that. And I'm making it sound maybe more, more cerebral and prescribed than it actually is. After you do 50, like you just, then you can just like spot them, right? You know, I mean, now in in St. Louis where I buy, like I can just glance at a property and know right away if it's a good price or not. But that comes and that confidence, I guess, to use your word, comes from doing hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works. And underwriting so many deals. I have helicopters circling. I'm sorry. If I... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's all good. It's all go good. <laughs> no, yeah. It's funny how that works, Michael, when you're underwriting so many different deals and you being able to see what works and what doesn't work between price point and how the units are laid out and square footage and all those different things, the different amenities. And you also start to see patterns that are unique to that specific market as well, which I think is extremely important depending on where you invest at. Because the same tactics that you use for underwriting can be applied, obviously, like in Minnesota, that you can do in like San Diego or in Texas or in Memphis or wherever else that you choose to to be at. Right. After years of doing this, I would have no idea how to underwrite a burr. I would have no idea how to underwrite a flip, uh, a short. I, I have no idea how to underwrite a short term rental. I mean, I could take a swing at it, but I would never it would be another six months before I'd feel confident underwriting something to actually buy it. So people ask me all the time about how does this look for an Airbnb? And I'm like, man, I have no idea. Yeah. Totally different metrics. So, so let's go, let's sort of transition into St. Louis and multifamily and talk about some of the deals you've been doing, you know, recently. I think I remember correctly that you recently closed on a deal. So let's chat about that. What was the buy box for that? What sort of metrics were you to consider that deal? Yeah. So we've done two recently um, within the past six months and they were both really similar. So yeah, just to catch up after I bought, yeah, I bought like two duplexes in one day. I was looking to figure out how to scale. I was on a Facebook a real estate investor group. can't even remember which one, but somebody was asking how we make an in value add in, in, in SoCal. And I was like, ah, we don't, we buy in the Midwest, you know, generally I know Dre does and has done fantastic. And he analyzes things a, a different way than I do too. But the, so I said, I'm one of those stereotypes of the Californians swooping in and buying everything up. Right. And somebody else in the forum, uh, a guy named Nick was like, Hey, I, I live in SoCal as well and I do value add and I'm looking to scale and I buy in the Midwest as well. I have a portfolio in, in St. Louis. We should, you know, compare notes. 
So we started talking and I actually had, I'm skipping the part where I like kind of partnered four or five other times and something or other got in the way of, of closing on a deal. But Nick and I discovered that like we were both super talented and we had totally opposite talents. And I would love for you guys to have him on. I, I think that might even be in the cards at some point. So Nick is, when Nick pitched me on partnering up, so he works in kind of military industrial stuff, negotiating big contracts between, you know, federal government and, and a defense contractor. He's Mr. Asset Management, Mr. Detail, Mr. Vendor Negotiation, Mr. Finance, Spreadsheets, Quant, Investors guy, right? So that's like the exact kind of partnership you want. And we get along like really well too, just on a friendly basis, super high integrity dude, right? So all that stuff is important. So, so we started looking together in St. Louis and again, like I was scraping, I got a web scraper that like scraped all the data from LoopNet. We were, I was just underwriting tens, dozens a day. And the first one that came up was a 24, 1.7 million. We were like, hey, this is like just big enough to be a syndication, but looks great from a value add perspective. This area is appreciating. Nick owned some property nearby. We started running the numbers, put in an LOI, got actually the LOI got totally ignored. And we were told like, oh yeah, we don't do LOIs in, in Missouri, which was interesting. And we got some like, just some like general blowback from if you're from Cali buying in, in the deep Midwest and then the South, I'm sure there's a lot of, there's, there's personal stuff to get past too. And, and preconceptions about California buyers, like throwing money around and stuff like that, that we had to get past. So, so the relationships that Nick had built there were huge with banks, with lenders, uh, sorry, banks, accountants, property management, you name it. Like he had done that kind of leg legwork already. So let's see, pretty straightforward. We not allowed a negotiation on that one. We, the rental yield was right at the 1% rule. We saw that stuff was about 20% below market rents. Lots of, lots of cosmetic rehab needed, but it had really solid bones. This is all stuff that just kind of generally mismanaged. These are all yeah. things that were like, check, check. Yep. Especially, so like, if you're asking about buy, buy window, buy criteria for us, I think like lowest hanging fruit, biggest opportunity is mismanagement, right? Cause that's kind of free to fix in a certain sense, right? If somebody hasn't been keeping up with market rents, with market conditions, et cetera, I would say that next is stuff that's, well, yeah, stuff that's under, under market. So mismanagement can mean all sorts of things, but stuff that's under market is another big under market rents is a, a, another checkbox. Cosmetic rehab. We don't want to buy someplace that I, I see people looking at like, oh yeah, the place was gutted by a fire and we can get it super cheap. Like, man, I wouldn't even know how to price something out like that. So we just look for, we look for carpet. We look for like brown unfinished cabinet doors we look for old appliances and we're like stainless steel lvp white cabinet like uh, just the, the super easy stuff if you can put five five to you know ten grand into a unit and, and raise the rent 300 bucks a month like hey we're all about that and that's what woodson looked like and northbrook then came along so we were hitting our numbers on woodson easy i should add that we were had never done a capital raise and we were super nervous about that right so for Woodson, we had to raise 700K and we were hitting up everybody we know. We knew we were going to do a 506B, right? So our friends and family, we just hit up everybody we knew, former coworkers, family, friends, distant friends, anybody we had heard had any interest in real estate. We just like put ourselves out there, right? We had a database of about a little over a hundred people who were like potentially interested. And we scheduled a webinar, did everything on Facebook. We had like 49 people sign up. And I oh. remember saying like, if 20 actually show, I'll be done. That's a good, that's a good uh, turnover right there. Exactly. And we had like 48 showed up, like every single person showed up, which blew my mind. 
And we, we pitched and we put a ton of work into our, our OM and everything. And literally like Nick and I took turns. And when he was presenting, I was like, had my email open and it was going ding, ding. So people were committing, people were putting in money before, like when we were halfway through and it, in two hours, it was done. We were turning people away. Like that night we had raised 700 K already. So that was fantastic. And then our next one was Northbrook and a similar story. I won't go into, into too much detail, but another value add. 15, 20% below Mar. There was some management issues. We wanted to get past carpet, old cabinets, just like totally fit the same profile, but a lot bigger. So this one was a 61 unit, 4 million. We had to raise 1.5 million. We like to raise all of our CapEx upfront. So, so that was down payment plus, plus CapEx. And so we brought on some help. So we were, despite doing 700K in two hours, we brought on some help uh, from other folks to do the capital raise. And we, you know, split out some of the GP. It was some other aspiring GPs. And this time it took two days, <laughs> but we had to decide two weeks to do the capital raise. And, and in two days we were turning folks away. So there's definitely a hunger out there to invest in, in, in real estate. And yeah, so that, that's the one I, I think you're referring to that one closed yeah. um, about three weeks ago. And yeah, so far so good. No, no big surprises at least, but it's looking good. I think we're going to take a little break now. Two and six months was a lot. Yeah. And a lot to pull out from that, but there are a couple of things I wanted to highlight. The first being that you mentioned, um, your first deal and I believe your second deal as well. They weren't heavy value ads. You even mentioned like people are always saying, oh, that one's going to buy a fire and you're going to get a great value, but that's not something you're into. And for the listening audience, I think it's very important to know what your skill sets are. But also more importantly, what aren't your skill sets? If you're not, if you're not in construction, then you probably shouldn't buy something you have to take down to the studs and bring back to life. Right. If you're not the best at uh, organization and asset management, maybe don't take on that 150 unit deal for your first deal. So you have to play to your strengths. And I think that's what you and, and your partner did. And that's why you were able to be successful. And so that's just something I wanted to highlight for the audience. So you, you don't have to be good at everything. In fact, What's more important is to know what you're not good at so you can play to what you are good at. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then on, on this one's a question you mentioned that you had about a hundred people on your list and basically half of them showed up for those of you out there that, that haven't done a webinar or have done something where it's optional to show up a half uh, or a 50% show up rate is astronomical. That's, that's <laughs> unheard of. So the question to you is what do you think? you and your partner to sort of grow that or to have that kind of turnout on, on your very first webinar, by the way. Yeah. I mean, we, the, you had to strike while the iron hot and it was hot and it definitely was at the time. Like things may have cooled a little bit now, but in terms of what we did, like, I think it's important to communicate often to the prospects when you do get an evite or a Facebook invitation out, just continue following up, continue reminding people, give them teasers. So like, when we got photos, we put the photos out. When we got preliminary numbers, put the preliminary numbers out. When we got every time that we got an update, we sent it out and communicated with people. So by the time the, it's almost like showing the first 12 episodes of, of the show and then like people aren't going to skip the finale then yeah. like make, make your, your pitch the, the finale, right? Because that's literally, you want them to be able to make a decision and invest money within minutes of you, of you pitching, right? So think of that as the end, not the beginning of the process. That's an interesting viewpoint. And I actually, as people do the opposite as everyone just usually just does the webinar. Yeah. And then they're like, now invest with me. And it's just like, that's great. I like how you split it up and then in little pieces, little segments. And yeah, it's a great, yeah. I, 
a, a way to show, you know, show it like, hey, here's the episodes, here's the finality. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the in digital marketing, usually we count impressions that people get or exposures to some sort of ad stimulus. I'll go back into the psychology. People on average need to see something five, six, seven times before they'll make a purchase decision. So like if you're asking for 50K minimum and some of these people are putting in 150K or more, you don't, you do not want the webinar where you're making the ask to be the first time they've talked to you. You want that to be the eighth time, right? Right. So, so yeah, just follow up, have two, three, even in-person meetings before, before you do the webinar. A lot of the folks will have already made the decision before you even, you know, do the full webinar. That was certainly the case for us. And now a word from our show sponsor. Let me let you in on the best kept secret when it comes to investing in single or multifamily flips. Hire an interior designer. Now stay with me. We're not talking about curtains and throw pillows here. We're talking about elevating your design, reconfiguring your floor plans, and developing functional spaces, all to maximize your ROI. Melanie Renee Designs has over 12 years of experience designing in the San Diego real estate market and is ready to help you increase your profits on flips, buy and holds, or short-term vacation rentals. Reach out to Melanie herself at melreneh at gmail.com. That's M-E-L-R-E-N-E-H at gmail.com. And make sure to tell her that we sent you. Well, we're going to move on to the second part of the show, Michael. Yeah. It's the legacy round. So it's an open forum on your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business. Practical tips on how to grow your portfolio or how to build your investment network. So I'll, I'll leave that up to you to choose one of the three. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just tell, I'll tell a story uh, about, and this was before I got into syndications, but was part of it. And part of how, like, I, I think we do business a little differently. Like I, I am really interested in the the human aspect of real estate, right? I mean, these are people's homes. You're buying a, when you're buying a property, you're buying a business and the tenants are your customers, right? And you, you got to treat them right. So I always talk about the three legs of the stool. You have investors, you have managers, and you have the tenants, right? And all three of those legs are critical. Like if one leg falls out, the whole stool falls over, right? And I, yeah, I love this. I love the, the human aspect. You can't just live entirely in a spreadsheet, right? So the second property I bought, the duplex, I had, I was doing the MLS thing, looking at hundreds of properties and this, this one popped up and I analyzed it a little differently. Like the rental yield wasn't quite as high, but one thing I noticed was that the, the tax assessment on the property was higher than the asking price. And you never, ever see that, right? Like the IRS never, ever says the property is worth more than what it's actually going for on the market. So I thought that's strange. And I looked at, I underwrote it a couple of different ways. And I was like, wow, this is like way underpriced. So asking price was 145. The tax assessment was 170 something. And based on comps, this was, it was worth over 200K. Okay. So I was like, there's either something very wrong, or this is an opportunity that I should just jump on right away. So I put together, put together an offer. And I did something that I still do, which was a, is a branded Turner Bigger Pockets thing that I highly recommend, which is write a personal letter to the seller explaining numbers aside why you will be a really good steward of, of the property, right? So this happened to be in the town that I, I grew up in. I grew up like playing with my best friend lived next door to the property. We used to play in the churchyard across the street. So I, I wrote this long letter along with my explaining that I'd grown up in the area, how much my perspective on tenants and how important treating your tenants right is, honoring the, the property by keeping it, uh, keeping it upgraded and fixing things quickly and et cetera, et cetera. And it included a picture of the family and all that kind of stuff, right? 
And got a, I got a call that night from from kind of an elderly sounding woman who said, is this Michael? And I said, yes. And I it, it was weird that I even picked up. I never pick up the phone when I don't recognize the number. <laughs> but I was like, ah, I got some offers out there. I should check this. And she goes, I'm the owner of that property. And I live in Florida now and I have a lot of rental properties. But I grew up there too, decades and decades ago, right? And I used to play in that churchyard. And I just think it's awesome that you wrote me a letter because I buy and sell a lot of property now and I've never gotten a letter. And I want you to know that I got four offers today and two of them were even better than yours, but they didn't convince me that they're going to, they're going to treat this, this property the way that I would treat it. Right. So I just wanted to call you and tell you that I'm accepting your offer. I was like, wow, it's fantastic. We, we talked for, we talked for a half an hour about what this town was like back in the day and everything. And I'm not saying this only works if you grew up right next to the (laughs) the property you're buying, right? Because we buy in single lift too, but, but write a personal letter because like that property was worth more than. 200k like based on comps and like that was a $50,000 letter I wrote basically take an extra you know half hour to to write out something thoughtful and I made a personal connection too and I've gotten out of the sort of duplex space but like if that woman if that was a 60 unit like we could have gone on to do deals in the future too so in the end it's it is still a relationship there's so much math but it's still a relationship based industry so just always keep that in mind it's a beautiful story I love it (laughs) that is a beautiful story I think a lot of listeners are going to really it's learn gonna, from that. It's going to resonate with a lot of people. Gonna, yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to get in the last part of the show, the Giordano round. As this is the multifamily by the size podcast. Giordano's is the number one deep dish pizza spot there. You get these thick, meaty slices just full of goodness. So he's got a series of questions going back and forth between Ike and I. You're bigger than Gino's East, Steven, because I grew up. I, I, hey, bigger than Gino's East. I was I was a Gino's East guy. Yes, I, yes. I have my, I wrote my name up on the walls and stuff. Apparently you can't do that anymore. And, and apparently they're all over the place now. Like in the, in the eighties, there was only a couple and, and you could write all over the walls. I don't know if they do that anymore, but no, Gino's East is definitely a Chicago staple, but uh, I'm going to have to give the crown to Giordano. We love Giordano's. Okay. Yeah. So here's a question going back and forth between Ike and I, that our listeners can just have a lot of knowledge of, of slices. And so uh, the first one. You're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. And these are your last words that you can shout out to everyone before you die. Yeah. What would you scream out to them and want you to run? I, I would tell people to be kind to one another because I think you can do well by doing good. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. This is, like I said, this is a relationship based business and you need to make yourself vulnerable just like you do if you're dating somebody right that's the only way to to get really close right and that opens you up to like getting burned occasionally but if you have those shields up all the time or if you just if you're out going out the gate are like always being suspicious or not giving people the time of day or thinking you're you know bigger than your britchers there's there's always somebody way bigger than you out there and you never know who you're talking to right (laughs) true Uh, so just like default to kind default to trust that's a lot to yell from the top of a mountain. I would yell, be kind. I would yell, be kind to one another. <laughs> I like it. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? I think there's a lot, there are a lot of ways to make money. And then, and that this is not just about the money, right? So like, if you are, if you're getting into real estate just to make money, I would say go into tech, go into, I don't know, crypto speculation, something like real estate is really complex. 
it is a lot of work and it's especially syndications have, have turned out to be way more work than, you know, we anticipated. It's like four plus hours a day. I've definitely pulled all nighters on a couple of these properties. So go in for the right reasons. You make sure you're going in because you, you like working with people. You like working with tenants. You're trying to improve people's lives. You, you enjoy working with investors and everything that that entails because it's a huge commitment. So like if you're going to go in, go all in because I think, I think the slumlords or the absentee landlords and stuff like, that's bad for the whole industry. I would hate people going in because the numbers work on a piece of paper and they are new, so they didn't realize how much maintenance involved. So they just don't maintain a property and just let it and let it fail. That's bad for everybody. So don't do it just for the money. Like do it because you love real estate. Vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? So I, I think if you need to know if there are three terms that will help you like underwrite a property in 10 minutes, it's knowing. I think the three terms are probably PGI, NOI, and, and cap rate. Okay. So with the, if you have those three numbers, you can come to like an appropriate price for something and you can know if it's a good deal or not. So PGI, potential gross income is, hey, if this place was full and everybody was paying what their you know existing rent is, or even another way to look at it would be like, what's the market rent? And that's the potential gross income, right? And then you start subtracting and make sure all the things you need to subtract, including vacancy, CapEx, all the maintenance, paying your PMs, taxes, um, interest on your mortgage, which, you know, which is an expense. Well, no, I guess that's not part of NOI. So scratch, scratch the interest part. <laughs> that is an expense, but all your operating expenses. After all that has been subtracted out, you're left with your net operating income, your NOI. Okay. And that number is really important because that's basically... That would be your profit if you bought uh, a prop for cash, right? So that's analyzing the profitability of a property separate from the financing, right? So people get loans, most people get loans, leverage, et cetera, et cetera. Separating that out for a second, the NOI would be your profit if you bought it for cash. And then you divide the NOI by, you know, their asking price and that's the cap rate. Okay. Or the other way to do it is, well, so stopping for a second, the cap rate. So usually let's say five to 8% range typically is what your profit uh, margin would be if you were investing as a cash buyer, right? The other way to do it though, is if you know the market cap rates, if they haven't told you a, a price you divide the NOI by the market cap rates and you get like an appropriate price for the property, right? So if let's say a property is making 500 K a year, you could probably cut that in half. Let's say 500K was your PGI. Cut that in half. That's called the 50% rule to get your NOI and then divide that 250K by, let's say 5% and you get a $5 million property, right? So if they're asking 8 million, that it's way overpriced, right? And it's like, it's probably not even worth putting an offer. If they're asking 4.5 million, it's like, oh, maybe this is a tremendous opportunity. I should dig in a little bit. So if you just keep those three numbers in your head, while you're looking through properties, I think the most important skill is to be able to do 30 second version of the underwriting on a property, then a 10 minute, then put in an LOI. If they bite, put in an hour of work. If you're, if you get to the stage where you're putting in an actual offer, then start spending hours doing the underwriting, like in, in each step, but they call it sharpening the pencil, right? Getting like more and more accurate on, on all the expenses and things like that. But I, I just look back at Northbrook and Woodson and I've both, I've underwritten both of those about 15 times each. <laughs> so having that, the two minute version, then the 10 minute, then the 30, whatever. If you have those three things in mind, PGI, NOI and, and cap rate, you can do a two minute analysis of dozens of properties. And that's what you, that's what you need to do to look at a lot of deals, right? Before you find like that. Before we get to the fourth question, I'm glad, I'm so glad you mentioned that because just a few minutes ago, we were telling everybody, you gotta do, you gotta look at a hundred deals. You gotta look at all the deals in the market. 
And I'm sure there's a listener out there is like, how am I going to spend time? How many hours is this going to take me? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that we went through that quick back of the underwriting process to sort of sift out what are good deals and what are bad deals so people can save some time and actually zero in on the ones that they want to put in the offering. So thanks for outlining that. Yeah, I mean, I'll offer like if people, I think we'll probably do contact info at the end of the show. I have all sorts of spreadsheets where I just like, here are four numbers to put in from any property and you get like a good sense of whether it's a good deal or not. And like my partners and I will, we still do 10 plus a week. Nowadays, you have to, you do need to look at a hundred plus, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Years ago, it was like 20 to find a good deal. Now it's like over a hundred for sure. So, all right, let's bring it on home. The last question, education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Yeah, I'm a book guy. I can't say I've listened to a ton of, of podcasts. I've listened to yours and it's fantastic. I'm so recommended, but that's not, let's just not like my kind of modality of learning. So minor books for any, if you're starting in sort of duplexes up to quads, which I recommend before doing a, a syndication. For sure. I really like anything by bigger pod, bigger pockets. I started, it's just called the book on rental property investing. It's, that's brand Turner for a lot of people just getting started. That's their Bible. From there, I really think it's important to understand the math. There's a, a book I read called Real Estate Math Demystified. That's one of those that I have that's like full of notes, dog-eared, whatever. Get the paper copy. Don't try and do it by Kindle. You know, it's workbooks where you're doing the math out by hand. That's by uh, Stephen Mooney. Yeah, real estate math demystified. Bigger Pockets has some two new ones. They just released a two-part multifamily book. So one is part one is two to four units, and part two is syndications and like much larger properties. So those have been really great. Those just came out less than a year ago. Yeah. I think my very favorite book on syndications for people that are ready to scale is Joe Fairless. It is called the Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. And to me, that was the most practical. And I've read a lot now. That was the most practical, like, okay, first do this, then do this. Step one, step two, step 100, because it's like, it literally is a hundred steps. And that was the one that really gave us the confidence to do our first syndication. So love Joe Fairless, love everything that, that he's. And then the other thing that I really like is communities. I mean, that's how I, that's how I met you guys. I really like, I would be remiss to not shout out the tribe of Titans and uh, that's Four Oaks Capital, Brian Briscoe. That's a tremendous value. I think it's like 30 bucks a month or something like that. I really hope he raises prices. I probably shouldn't have even said that because I've gotten way more than 30 bucks a month, but a value out of it. I'm also in Michael Blanc's Dealmaker Mastermind. And that one, I think it's like 50 bucks a month, something like that. Between those two groups, you have hundreds and hundreds of very experienced people who can answer questions for you. I've never had to do a $30,000 mastermind or, or anything like that. I've gotten every question answered that I needed, but you need to participate too. You got to ask the questions. You can't just sit and read. You got to jump in and be active. Well, all right, Michael, thanks again for coming on the show. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I got my co-host, Ike AK. For our listeners, thanks for joining us and listening in. Subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review. Check us out at www.multifamilybytheslice.com. Look forward to you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.